Welcome to the She Who Wins podcast. I'm your host, Renee Bauer. I'm an attorney, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and investor. This is the place where we dive into all of the things that matter to you and most importantly, uncover what's holding you back from realizing your dreams. Because she who moves forward fiercely is she who wins. Today we are talking about sex, why it matters in your relationship, and how to reignite the passion. My guest is Jen Melville, and she is a sex and relationship coach. She helps couples transform from tired, detached, and overwhelmed to connected, supportive, and passionate sexual partners. This is a great conversation, and stay tuned to the very end when we talk about vibrators. Jen, welcome. Hi, how are you? Uh, this is going to be a super fun conversation. So we're talking about sex today. I mean, it's always fun <laughs> when you talk about sex. But you know what? It's like, right? And that's what you do for work. Like, that's what you, like, every day you're talking about sex. So this is super easy and comfortable for you. And I might be over here, like, blushing. So. Like sweating. I know, it's normal. Sweating. But then <laughs> a, an occupational hazard is I always have my mind in the gutter. I think everyone's thinking about it, but really, it's just me. (laughs) It may be like my husband and the other men out there. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) all right, so this is going to get super juicy. Let's jump in. But before we get started, I have to ask you, like, how did you get into this line of work? So it was like, I don't know. I don't know if I would say like by accident, but so I have, you know, a bachelor's and a master's degree and something totally different sociology and higher education. And I was working, I worked for 12 years in housing. So with yes, like sweaty, smelly 18 year olds, <laughs> unable to do their own laundry. Um, but no, that was my <laughs> career choice. Sounds and, like my house. Right. I know it doesn't change when they get older, but um, so I started, I've always been an entrepreneur. And so I love how your She Who Wins is all about like supporting like women and entrepreneurship and finding your passion. And so I've always been like a little bit of like a hustler. And so I was working full time as an assistant director of Residence Life. And I was like, oh, it's my birthday. I'm going to have one of those like naughty, like sex toy parties. And so I contacted someone and of course the woman like flashed, you know, like how to make money. And I was like, Ooh, I'm all about like making a little extra. And so I actually signed up as a consultant with a company to sell sex toys. <laughs> and I was started doing that, like just for fun. Like I was like, I wanted to make a little extra cash. I was getting married. I wanted to buy a house eventually. And I just started doing it for fun. So I was working full time and I was doing these parties like on the side. And at these parties, if you've never been to one, the consultant typically shows some like goodies, like toys, lingerie, lotions, things like that. And then you have like a private conversation with them in like a small room by yourself. And so in that room, as I, as my time started going on, I've done it for over six years. I realized I was having these like profound conversations with women, like any, like the full gamut, like I've never had an orgasm. I'm 70 years old and my spouse passed away. I've never owned a vibrator. My marriage is in shambles. I'm, you know, I'm going through infertility, like you name it. I heard it. And I was like, oh my goodness, like these women have like no one to turn to. Like who, who do you talk to? Like when you're having difficulties in the bedroom, maybe your partner, probably not. 
maybe your OB or your doctor, but they're trained, but not on everything and have like, what, five minutes with you in the office? Or maybe your therapist, which again, most of them are not trained in sexual health. So I was like, I have to do something. (laughs) And so I was making a lot of money doing the parties. Um, I paid for my wedding. I paid for three rounds of infertility, like was doing very well. And so I decided to leave my full-time job and do parties full-time when my twins were born. And then of course, like everyone pivoted during the pandemic. (laughs) So my career at that point, I was going into women's homes. And so I was still, you know, I had left my full-time job at the college, was doing this, had my babies who are four today. Um, Aww, and happy birthday. After sort of like this, the, the late 2020, like people weren't having people in their homes anymore, but they weren't quite comfortable. They were done doing stuff online. So I was like, there's got to be, I got to do something more. Like I need more than this. Like these women need more of me that I feel trained to give them. And so I looked into like master's programs, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be a therapist. I didn't want to like concentrate on the past. I didn't want to, you know, get, you know, kind of, I wanted, I wanted action. Like I wanted to be able to give these women things that they could do to improve their sex life and, or to improve the challenges in their relationship they were having. So I found a certification and program in sex coaching. And so that's what I do now. I work mostly with couples um, and some women by themselves, whether they're single or in a relationship. And we just talk about how to manage motherhood, life, and all of the challenges that come with being a romantic partner. So that's what I do now. So what are the common things that you hear from couples? From couples is, so a lot of the couples I work with have young children. So, and even if they don't, it's, uh, we don't have enough time. Uh, we have low sex drive. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. A lot from here from women, I'm overstimulated. I'm overtouched. Uh, from, you know, older couples, it may be like, we've just been disconnected for so long. It's awkward. Um, and we just, we don't know what to do. Like, I think, you know, some people go to their doctor and say like, oh, I have to give me a pill. I have a low sex drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I hear the most. It's just about being tired. They are unaware of their sex drive. Uh, they're overwhelmed. They're overstimulated. And just sex falls to the bottom of the list of things to do. Do you see that impacting their relationships in every other area? You know, I see it. It's almost the opposite, to be honest. So I tell my clients that sec- lack of sex or intimacy, and you'll hear me use those words interchangeably because I think society, when you say the word sex, means like penis and vagina, everyone has an orgasm. But you know, there's a fuller gamut of what sex and intimacy is. So I'll use them interchangeably. So when you think about sex and intimacy... Typically, lack of that is actually a result of something else. So it works in the opposite way. So if you are having poor communication or you're not managing your stress well or you're constantly in conflict, you're not going to want to have sex or intimacy with your partner. So it really will start with we just stopped having sex. You stopped having sex or intimacy for a reason. Um, and that reason may be within your control, maybe with outside of your control, but it is the symptom 
of another issue or challenge that you're having, not necessarily the cause. Mm. And I think that's where so, people get confused. <laughs> so I want to I want to talk about some how you work with clients and like some remedies or solutions or tips. But I also want to ask the question, what do you hear from women who come to you when they're not coming as a couple and they're just coming themselves? Like what is the common? Because what I'm thinking is like, there are listeners out here who feel like, who are saying, okay, there's something like I need to tune in and I need to feel normal that whatever I'm going through is something that like happens and there's, there's a solution to this. So like, help them feel validated as to whatever they're feeling is, is real. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I was hoping you would say that word because that's my favorite word to talk about is normal. And so a lot of women and couples will come to me and say like, I, we're not normal. Like what I'm feeling is not Mm -hmm. normal. Right. And cause what are they looking at? They're looking at their spouse, they're looking at, you know, their friends or their parents or the neighbor down the street or people to see in movies or TVs or porn, and they're comparing themselves to that. And so if they don't have what those people have, then they think that they're abnormal. And then what happens is we create these issues or concerns that may or may not be valid. So what you feel is valid, but the reason that you feel them are because you're being influenced by other people. So a lot of women will come to me and, and typically even with a couple, it's typically the the wife or the partner that will come to me first. And, you know, I just want to be normal. Like we're not having sex, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't want an orgasm is I don't, you know, I've never had an orgasm. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm not normal. And so breaking down the, that, that feeling of insecurity is, is valid, you know? And so we talk about where that comes from. And so I want to hear from women, like, where does that feeling come from? Where are you feeling abnormal? What is making you feel that way? Where is it coming from? And a lot of, and I get a lot of, um, like body image, you know, especially women who are, you know, been in a relationship for a really long time. They're like, Oh, I just want to, you know, I want to go back to the sex life we used to have. I want to go back to the body I used to have, or, you know, they just had a baby and they're postpartum or they're pregnant or, you know, and, and so really educating people about tuning in. So tuning out the outside and tuning in the inside. So what is going on inside as far as how do you really feel when you're not comparing yourself to other people? And so being able to do a lot of self-reflection, I do a lot of reflection in my program with women and couples about we're now going to define what is normal for you you know, comparing yourself to other people is more detrimental to you than it is to try to figure out where do you fit? You know, so I tell people like, stop putting yourself in a box, you know, tune out the out and tune in the in. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, lo- I love that. That's where you started with that, because that's not what I would expect. What were you, you know, expecting? I would, what did you think? Well, I, I, I would expect, like, I would think that you would talk about like, external tactics, right? Rather than starting inside out, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could send, you know, people away with like how to, how to masturbate or how to, you know, make your partner orgasm or, and, and I do that. And I do talk about that, but the first part is if I start giving people tools and strategies on how to 
you know, become like whatever they're comparing themselves to, like they're not tuning into who they really are. So once we can identify what is your new normal for yourself or for you and your partner, then we can develop and give you tools and strategies to make that work. Mm. And that's the the internal part is the first part. And, and a lot of people are pretty surprised by it. So they have a similar reaction to you. <laughs> yeah. So what tips do you have for a couple to reignite their passion? Like if if someone's listening to this, what can they take away from this that they can start doing immediately? So the first thing I, I say people have to do is you have to figure out where the passion went. Because remember, passion, sex, intimacy, whatever you want to call it, lack of it is a is a subsidy of something else that's already happening. So I would say the first thing that people need to do is talk. I would say, you know, like I'm a sex and relationship coach, but I would say 80% of my time is teaching people how to communicate with one another and how to effectively communicate. So are you talking to your partner about your thoughts, your feelings, about what feels good, what doesn't feel good? You know, and those are like, you're like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, (laughs) but if you don't talk about it, you're never going to know. And so, you know, we start, I start my couples a lot on like just daily, you know, exercises of them just speaking, just talking about things that are going on. The other thing that that people should really start with, and if it's okay, you can download it on my website totally for free, um, is figuring out what your sex drive is. You know, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I have no sex drive. I have no libido. Well, I'm going to give you free coaching right now in like three seconds. So typically there's two typical sex drives, I would say, and everyone falls anywhere in between there's, and, and there'll be like your normal life sex drive and like vacation sex drive kind of falls in, but <laughs> cause anyone, you know, like vacation is totally hysterical. different, you know, um, but you're either spontaneous and we're talking about desire here. So, you know, being in tune to how you ignite yourself and be tuned into your desire, aka sex drive. So are you responsive or spontaneous? So in simplest terms, a responsive, which is typically women, um, typically people who have high stress, it can be some men too, but I would say the majority of them are women, is your desire for sex or intimacy comes after arousal. So you know, you, we are not, and in, in, myself included, people who are responsive sex drive, we don't just sit around and say, oh, I'm horny. I can't wait to get home. And, you know, something needs to arouse us. So whether it's a little bit of foreplay, or maybe you're watching a sexy scene on TV, or you're reading erotica novel, or, you know, your partner sending you sexy text messages, like something needs to ignite that arousal first, where it gets you thinking about it. And thinking, but also sometimes it requires like doing. So I often tell women or responsive sex drive folks that sometimes you have to just get started, you know? So if your partner Mm. wants to fool around, just get started, just start kissing a little bit, start making out, take a shower and see if the desire is there. And I don't want to say most of the time, but if you're in the, if you can get yourself in the mindset of to start the process and get the arousal going, the desire to continue will often come. Where a spontaneous person, they desire it, 
before the arousal. So those are the people who are like, oh, I'm horny or I can't wait till I get it on tonight. And, you know, I've been thinking about you all day. And, you know, those people, they don't need the the touching, the the watching the arousal first. So once you're tuned into that, you have libido and you have a sex drive. You just need to figure out how to work it. And so once you're in tune to what your own is and your partner, and you've opened up the lines of communication and talked about the things that turn you on and turn you off, then that's how the reigniting switch starts. And you can begin to tune into one another and do, you know, try different things that, you know, you read about or you get a book or you hire a coach or whatever, but you have to be tuned into that first. Remember, you have to look on the inside first. So I poured my heart, my soul, and even tears into writing a book that is a love letter to every woman I know. She Who Wins the Book is for every woman who is told to smile, to quiet down, and to shrink themselves into their smallest version. It's for every woman who's trying to figure out what's next. It's for every woman who thinks this is as good as it gets. She Who Wins is for the good girl within who is ready to become the fierce female fighting to get out. She Who Wins is now available for pre-order. Visit shewhowinsbook.com for exclusive free bonuses when you order now. So do you typically see these two kind of buckets that you describe that men are the ones that actually they don't need, they're not reactive. I think that was the word that you used. And women are the ones that need to be revved up or like warm up the crock pot? <laughs> yes, I love you said the crock pot. Because <laughs> I, I was so funny. I was working on a couple of content pieces and you know, I said like, what do, um, I think I said an oven. I said, what do women in ovens have in common? They need to be warmed up. Um, that's, <laughs> that's actually, my husband gets credit for that because he'll be like, all right, let's turn the crock pot on. <laughs> <laughs> so but it's so true. And like, and please find humor in it. Like there's no, there's yeah. to be laughing about this stuff. I mean, what, what pe- the challenges people are having are not funny, but if we can find humor in things, I, I, I'm a strong supporter of that. But yes, yeah, so I would say the, ma- I would say the majority in statistics, and I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would say well over probably 85% of women are responsive sex drive and men are typically spontaneous sex drive. And you might have vice versa. Um, and where I said like vacation sex drive, like you might both be responsive or I'm sorry, spontaneous, but remember the arousal already happened. You're on vacation. You bought some lotion. You, you know, your kids are in staying with grandma and grandpa. Like there's different things that have already occurred that kind of feed into that. But yeah, I would say statistically, it's it's the men that are spontaneous and the women who are responsive that I see. What about initiating sex? Do you typically see a trend that men are the initiators and, and women are more responsive? Is it a woman's responsibility to take responsibility in part in that relationship and, and kind of getting things going? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I love that you asked that. Um, I think it's both parties' responsibility to initiate. Um, and I will say... Couples that come to me for help, and this might, this may or may not come as a shock, but um, typically men tend to be the initiator because they have that responsive sex drive, or the, I'm sorry, that spontaneous sex drive. Um, but I would say couples that are struggling and who have reached the point of asking for help or getting a resources, everyone stopped initiating. Like no one is initiating anymore because they're afraid of being let down. 
So men have been, you know, we're, again, we're talking statistically um, and most often, but it's not all the time, but have initiated and they just keep getting turned down. And why are women turning them down or their partners turning them down? Because we're not getting aroused. We're not getting warmed up. Uh, and then oftentimes women, especially women who have high stress lives, jobs, kids, they tend to get, um, what did I call it? Like touch resistant. Um, it's not what I called it now that my brain's going crazy, but what, what'll happen is anytime your partner, anytime your partner touches you, you have a resistance because you're like, I don't want the pressure to have to go all the way. Right. And so touch resistant is what we call it. So affection resistant. Thank you for letting me talk that out. <laughs> it's okay. I'm here for it. It doesn't matter what we call it, but affection resistant. So, you know, people that come to me who are not kissing anymore, who are not hugging, who are not cuddling because everyone stopped initiating. So if typically your male spouse stopped initiating because he gets, keeps getting turned down. The female's, you know, spouse doesn't initiate because she doesn't want any expectations, right? Or she, and then she has like a negative response when their partner just wants a hug or a kiss or whatever, like with nothing further than that. So the the disconnect just keeps getting further and further and further apart. And so I think it's both parties' responsibility to initiate. However, I am a strong supporter, especially when you're reconnecting, when you're rekindling, you're getting the spark back to know what the expectations are. So oftentimes I'll have my couple schedule sexy time because then any other time in between is like fair game just to like be affectionate with one another. There is no expectation there. And so if you schedule it, then you know what the expectation is that time and you, and as the responsive person, you can kind of get your brain in the right space and you can work on foreplay as time goes on, things like that. But then any other time that you're being affectionate with your partner should be both initiated both ways, because that's how you stay connected is that physical touch. And, you know, we all have different love languages, but there is a certain level of you know, our, us as humans needing physical touch with people that we love. And so it's both parties respo- responsibility, but with some expectations, you know, what, what turns you on? What does it mean? You know, like what is a, and even if it might just be a word, I tell people like, just, you know, I have one, one couple that's working with me now that is struggling with this, you know, they are, you know, kind of in this like, who, you know, what does it mean when I, you know, give you a hug or a kiss on the cheek? Does it mean it's further? But if one of them, you know, really wants to see if the door's open to, you know, going further, you know, into like, you know, sex or intimacy or things like that, they have like a code word, you know, like, and I don't, they, I don't remember what theirs is, but it's something like, do you want to, are we going to pineapple tonight? You know? Um, so just asking it, why, why are we afraid to ask for what we want? So yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up scheduling because that was actually one of my questions I was going to ask you. Does that take the the romantic element out of it if you schedule it? Does it feel too business-like and kind of dim the, the fun and spontaneousness yeah. of it? So anytime you decide to do any kind of self-care um, or process or technique, you can't... I encourage people, like, don't do it just to do it. 
So, and you know, when I work with couples, they get like homework assignments and things like that. But if you're just, if it's just something to check off your to-do list, Mm. don't even bother. Like, because your, your emotional disconnect from it is not going to have a high impact on what you're looking for. And so when you schedule sex, you've committed to the willingness of that time. Does it mean that it will happen or have to happen? No, but you as your, you and your partner, even if you're doing it with yourself, like I had some single ladies who are struggling to be intimate with themselves and learning what they like. And I tell them to schedule time to be alone. So when you do that, it, it, yes, it could feel businessy, but you, but if you think of it that way, but if you think of it as an opportunity for like excitement, right? So if you schedule like, okay, Sunday night is going to be our sexy time. Then you have all week to kind of build up to it, right? And I and I encourage people like send each other texts, write little notes, you know, buy a new piece of lingerie, like whatever. So you the foreplay is happening days beforehand. And so when you get to that time, okay, you've done everything you can to clear your mind, like get your to-do list done on Saturday, you know, so you can show up and be fully present during this mm. time. I've had, I've not had one couple tell me that it felt like a business transaction. They, I mean, I've had people, you know, say like, we didn't actually end up doing it, (laughs) but you know, that's okay. What, what I, you know, what I hear you saying is it takes effort. And I think that we have, we've heard in society, like relationships don't, aren't supposed to take work. And if they take work, then maybe something's not working. Like, and I hear you saying, listen, it takes your intention and effort. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. I think where whatever you hear or, you know, people are like, oh, you know, love is easy. Or like you said, like it yeah. shouldn't take work. It absolutely takes work. Now, does it have to be like super hard? No. If you keep, you know, if you keep the, you know, I always tell people like when you, if you have like a parked car, you ever had to push a parked car, like it stalls no. or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> you got three or four people behind it trying to push it, but eventually it just starts going, you're chasing it down the yeah. street, right? But if it stops again, it gets harder to get started. So something in motion stays in motion. So if you can t- make this a continualist part, and the thing that I work with my clients about is like, yeah, it's work, but it's gonna, if it's continuous, something you just do every day and are intentional about it, it doesn't feel like work because it becomes um, authentic. It becomes a natural part of your routine. It becomes unconscious that you are committed to growing and developing with your partner on a daily basis and knowing that there's going to be times of change. I mean, if you're in a committed relationship, you know, well, I don't know. We're talking to Renee, who's a divorce lawyer here, but um, <laughs> when you find the one, you know, um, but you know, you could probably even speak to what makes people get divorced. Like we, we don't grow yeah. together. We don't, you know, people, we go through these transitions, you decide to be with someone and yeah, I'm sure there's thousands of reasons for divorce, but if, you know, eventually you, you might be with someone for 40 or 50 or 60 years, like you're not the same yeah. people. Like, Clients come to me and they're like, I just wanted to go back the way it used to be. I'm like, well, it's not going to. So if you're not willing to move forward, we're not going back. So, Mm. and no one's going back. And so like, if you can't move forward, 
then that's where the, the issue comes. But, you know, it's just, a, it's a growing process. I love that. I can't believe we're like getting close to the end of our time. How did that go by so fast? And I didn't blush once. So, all right. But now, but now I'm going to, cause now I'm switching it up. I'm switching it up from, from, um, from couples. And I want to talk about vibrators okay. because let's be, let's wrap this up with, with a little vibrator conversation. Sure. Should every woman own a vibrator? I hate the word should. I, right. So, yeah. <laughs> so fix that phrase. Talk. Yeah. Tell me about vibrators. You shouldn't have to do anything. So vibrators can be an excellent tool to either arouse yourself or to use with a partner. So 85 to 89% of women need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. So does a vibrator help with that? Sure, it can. You know, it's it's another tool, right? So how do we pleasure ourselves or pleasure our partner, right? We could use a, a tickler. We could use a vibrator. We could use our hands. We could use lotion. All of those things are just tools. So should you own a vibrator? No, you don't have to. And you shouldn't feel abnormal if you don't. Is it a great accessory to allowing yourself to achieve orgasm or to give the control to your partner to help you achieve orgasm if you're the receiving partner? Absolutely. So if you want more tools to achieve orgasm or pleasure, because interchangeably not, you know, orgasm shouldn't always be the goal, then yeah, sure, you should own a vibrator. But do you need it or should everyone have one? No. But are they What's fun? Your Sure. <laughs> what, and they come in pretty colors. What's your favorite brand? Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm a little bit biased because I am still a consultant um, with Pure Romance, but more so I would say outside of a brand, I would say things you should look for in a vibrator. <laughs> Perfect. It, yeah. Is because um, people say like, oh, Jen, I want a vibrator. I'm like, oh gosh, that's like a loaded question for me. Like, well, what do you want it to do? So what do you want the function to be? Do you want it to stimulate the clitoris? Do you want it to use it internally? Do you want it to be curved up to use the, to stimulate the G spot? Do you want it to, for an anal toy? Like, what do you want it to do? So that's number one. Second, what is it made out of? So I strongly encourage people to get vibrators that are made out of silicone. And if you can get medical grade or food grade, it's better um, because they're non-porous like rubber um, vibrators, they become porous over time and will break down, which could cause an infection in your vagina or your vulva also. Vulva's the outside, vagina's the inside. Um, And then I would say go with rechargeable. Like you don't want to have to replace the batteries. They're just a better made toy and you can charge it in your car on the way to work. Um, (laughs) Just don't use it in the car. Just don't use it in the car. (laughs) Um, yes. So most of them come with a USB charging port. So what do you want it to do? Look at what it's made out of. And then, um, I do recommend rechargeable over battery. They just, they're better quality and they just last a little bit longer. Awesome. So good. And you can get them online. You can walk into a store. Like it's, you know, you can be discreet about it. Yeah, you can buy them online. Just like make sure you read and, you know, reach out to someone if you know someone who sells them or, you know, 
is knowledgeable about them to help you, you know, but you can buy them online. There's plenty of online retailers. There's local shops you can go into. That makes a fun little date night if you go in there with your partner. But yeah, it just makes sure you always get a lube and a cleaner though. And I was saying, don't buy it on like eBay. <laughs> it's like a yeah, use. Don't buy it on eBay. <laughs> All right. Before I ask you the final question, how do we find you? How does someone work with you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram. It's my full name. So Jennifer underscore Melville underscore. Uh, my website is www.jennifer-melville.com. Uh, there's all kinds of resources on there. I give a lot of stuff, um, fun tips and tricks on Instagram. Uh, and if you are interested in learning about my couples program or my connected self program, if you're looking to get some self-guidance, um, all of that is on my website and you can apply for a free discovery call with me. And I just love to open and chat with you. And that all that info will be in the show notes as well. So my final question for you, what does winning mean to you? Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) I love it. Winning means to me is being able to, I I saw Aaron speak last year, but being your authentic self and not just in a, like a foo-foo, like, oh, I want to be my authentic self. Like just feeling confident and intentional about your life. And that to me is winning. I love it. And you are in a walking example of that. I mean, you are just a confidence queen. So (laughs) I'll appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. This was so much fun. I had such a blast. Um, such good info that people don't like to talk about, but we we hashed it out right here. So don't hesitate to reach out to Jen for more info. As you can see, she is just an absolute wealth of knowledge and makes talking about a sometimes an uncomfortable subject really easy. So yes, thank, thank you. you. That's a wrap. Please subscribe to the She Who Wins podcast so you'll be the first to know about every new episode that drops. Until next time, and remember, she who moves forward fiercely is she who wins.